Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 22nd, and this is episode number 58. Well, just ahead, we're going to tell you how not to buy a boat and what low inventories mean for the boating business. Plus, it's Taco Thursday. What is up with Del Taco? And we're going to dig deep on a company with a potential COVID cure for some people with Jacob Fund's Darren Shervitz. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And thanks to the fine folks at Amazon, you can now listen to the Drill Down podcast on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast. You don't have to yell, but you could. And then just wait for the funky music to begin and you'll hear the show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and a move. And joining me, as always, editor extraordinaire, Ben Wilson. Good to be here, Corey. All right. Tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. All right, let's get to it. The three most important business stories of the day. Number one, housing numbers. Existing home sales, new numbers out from the National Association of Realtors. Uh, existing home sales up 1.4% in June from the prior month. Uh, 5.9 million sales, but that's big. June sales were 23% higher than a year before. That's just a massive increase. And the prices, maybe this should be the headline, record all-time price. The median home price for an existing home in America, $363,300, up 23% from last year at the same time. That's a record high, according to the National Association of Realtors, um, because of what well, stuff we're talking about all the time. Prices are going up and there aren't a lot of houses to buy, which is one of the reasons prices are going up. All right, number two, first-time jobless claims rise by 51,000 jobs to 419,000. That's a weekly number that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I think it's not a big deal. This week-to-week -week data can be kind of noisy. Uh, but generally speaking, what we've seen is a trend towards fewer people getting fired. And the third most important business story of the day, Senator Amy Klobuchar, introduced a bill on Thursday to take uh, some of the big social media companies to task for misinformation, specifically on the online platforms like you know Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, uh, are legally liable, if this bill were to pass, would be legally liable for misinformation about health issues, not least COVID-19. Of course, this comes just a few days after President Biden said that misinformation about the virus and vaccines was, quote, killing people as infections are surging. Uh, in places with low vaccination rates. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Marine Max. Marine Max. That sounds like a lot of fun. It trades with the ticker HZO. Shares were flat today, but up 85% over the past year. What's the story with Marine Max? Oh, my God. I've, I have owned this stock. I have shorted this stock. I've met with management. I've interviewed the CEO over the course of the last, call it, 14 years. I just realized the ticker HZO is supposed to look like H2O. It's a water. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it the first time, that. Corey. Oh, Welcome I'm to the world of people oh who God. realized it. Oh my God. I'm such a moron. Nonetheless, let me tell you about Marine Max. It is one of my favorite companies. I don't know why. I, 
I, like I said, I was short the stock a million years ago because the CEO came out at a financial conference and said they weren't having a really great time and maybe the numbers were going to be down. And then all the analysts wrote up these positive notes. And I'm like, I just listened to the guy say that business wasn't going great. So I shorted the stock and they announced earnings and the business wasn't going great. Well, business is going great for these guys now. And I do think they're good guys that run the company in my limited experience with them. The marine industry um, is having just a significant acceleration of new customers. People are turning to what Marine Max likes to call the boating lifestyle. So in the quarter they reported today, 6% same store sales growth on top of 37% growth last year. So yes, people flocked to the boating industry last year. It was the only thing they could do safely during COVID and they like it and more people are coming. Double digit growth in prices with tight inventories. But the real question for these guys is, okay, so if you don't have a lot of boats to sell, you're taking orders, your bookings are great. But if you don't have a lot of boats to sell, is that leading to cancellations? Not so, says CFO Michael Lamb. I'm sorry, Michael McLamb. Really haven't seen any any uh, any uptick in cancellations at all. People are locked in. I think there's a dynamic out there that in the past, you know, people, boaters have always upgraded boats, right? They want a larger boat one day. And I think in the past, people would say, hey, yeah, next season, let's go looking for boats, right? Now people are looking at it and saying, we better get our boat on order now if we want it for next season. So there's that's creating some patience in and of itself. I think people are being more proactive about their future purchase. And, uh, you know, we're figuring out a way to keep them on the hook, but no, no, uh, no order canceling at all. Now they did go on to say, however, that some of their orders, some of the sales that they might've had just didn't happen because they don't have boats to sell. Um, and so strong quarter could have been stronger if they had more inventory. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Crocs. Crocs. It trades with the ticker CROX. Shares are up 10% today, and for the last 12 months, shares are up 263%. What's the story with Crocs? Well, they make really ugly shoes that I wouldn't be caught dead in. But that's not <laughs> the story. My daughter got some for camp this year, though, and loved them. So we got that going for us. They still got some money out of the Johnson family. Um, Crocs reported a fantastic second quarter. Uh, the success driven by the sale to my daughter and their sandals, uh, which was still outpaced by their, you know, their clog, plastic clog product. Uh, but uh, just a fantastic quarter, um, $641 million in revenues, nice earnings. They um, raised their guidance saying that the next uh, revenue growth is going to be between 60 and 65% for the, the fiscal year 2021. Now, by comparison, they had previously said it'd be about 45%. So 63% said a 45% growth, picking the midline, pretty damn good. Uh, but I thought what was really interesting here is, is what are they seeing with back to school? So back to school has traditionally been a very important season for a lot of clothing retailers and, and shoes uh, sellers and Crocs in particular. But we had a weird year, right? Back to school happened, I don't know, in the spring, when schools finally opened up around the country. So what is it going to mean for back to school this year? Is it going to be really strong or is it going to be, oh, did demand get pulled forward into March and uh, there's not going to be a lot of spending on back to school? Well, here is the view from Crocs and their uh, CEO, Andrew Reese. We're very optimistic about back to school. I, I would say um, early reads are strong, right? As we look at, um, you know, obviously there's some parts of the country that go back a lot earlier than others as we look at the performance in those markets 
uh, we, we're seeing a trajectory that, uh, that we really like. So we're very optimistic about back to school. Um, obviously, it was very strong last year coming out of the, the, uh, the lockdowns of the pandemic. Uh, we feel very confident in our ability to, you know, anniversary and grow from that basis. Um, I would also point out, as you look at our seasonality, you know, the growth in back to school and the strength of fourth quarter, a lot of our seasonality that was historically in the business has really smoothed out. Um, and so, uh, you know, we can be incredibly profitable um, each quarter of the year. Sounds like he was saying back to school is going to be fine, but don't expect a big boost. You know, if he's saying we're smoothed out across the year, maybe back to school might be strong, but it might not be huge for these guys. Uh, but nonetheless, they reported a super strong quarter and really strong guidance going forward. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, uh, I thought we would look at, uh, you know, it's Taco Thursday. At least it is when <laughs> Del Taco reports earnings, which happened today. Every day is Taco Day if you play it right. Del Taco <laughs> trades with the ticker TACO. Shares were up 2% today. And for the last 12 months, shares are up 34%. What's the story with Del Taco? So I was actually thinking today about Burger King, that Burger King in Nebraska. Did you see the story where the, the workers, a whole bunch of them quit? Most of them quit this Burger King and they put up a sign outside that said, we all quit. You see this I thing? did. I did see that. What's your take on it? Well, I, you know, people have choices and want, and, and being at home during the pandemic and then going to a place where you're sweating your burgers off and your buns off, uh, that, uh, I, that's a good one. Sweating your buns off. It's a burger joke. You get it? Burger buns. <laughs> anyway, I get it. People are sweating their buns off. They're working so hard in these horrible jobs that they just don't want to do when the management is cruel to them or mean to them. They walk out the door, this national labor shortage. I wonder what we'd hear about from Del Taco. I know Del Taco's, you know, you maybe don't know Del Taco. They don't have one in your area, but it's the second largest Mexican-American quick service restaurant. It's just measured by the number of stores in the U.S. I'm assuming Taco Bell is the larger one. But uh, second quarter earnings were strong. Uh, revenue is up 20% to $125 million from the previous year. Same store sales up 18%. And they're opening new restaurants. They're going to open 13 restaurants this year. How are they doing it? They're paying their workers more money. But it still isn't helping them with labor problems that are out of their control. So this is super interesting to me, at least, is that their suppliers aren't able to get them their packaging, the fast food packaging, because they won't raise their rates. So they're having labor problems with their suppliers, and it's making it harder for Del Taco to get the packaging that they actually need. Here's CFO Stephen Brake. Yeah, the root cause is largely domestic, heavily tied to the labor availability, staffing challenges that you know any and all businesses are essentially facing today. So that's really the root cause uh, of our issues. So I, I just think it's so fascinating that the way these problems get passed along, and even if you run your business the best you can, when your suppliers aren't doing that or you're, you know, somebody else has got issues around labor, that's your problem too, even on Taco Thursday. All right, coming up next, our guest, Jacob Funds, Darren Chervitz, a great guy, great investor, and he's got a great story about a company that might have, I kid you not, a cure for COVID. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities, 
Learn more at era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod, and check out our website, bizpod.net, to let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Right, welcome back to the Drill Down. We are joined by my old friend, Darren Shervitz of Jacob Funds. Uh, Darren, it's great to see you. We were just telling the story off air, but when you left the business of journalism in 1999, when you and I were competing against each other, you were at CBS Market Watch. There was a thing. I don't know it was Market Watch. And I was at thestreet.com. Um, still a thing, amazingly. And I wrote a story about you making this leap as a journalist to becoming an investor. So before we get into talking about Omeros, let me just ask you briefly, like, do you feel that the skills you honed as a journalist, you were a good one, how it helped you as a, as a better analyst of stocks and, and, and a manager of money? I think absolutely. I mean, it, it certainly, I think, was one of the reasons I was hired. Ryan Jacob, who's uh, president and chief investment officer of the firm, uh, I had gotten to know him through stories I had I had done at, at MarketWatch, but uh, it was one of the things that that it attracted me uh, to him is, is my ability. Uh, well, there are a couple of things that, that, that benefited me from my journalistic experience, and, and certainly first and foremost among them probably is the ability to uh, interview and interrogate or however you want to describe it, yeah. uh, executives. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a skill set that, that comes in handy. I have been accused on multiple occasions of being a short seller when I've had discussions with uh, companies that we own. Unlike you, I've always been a long only. Right, well, I've sure. about, about, yeah, I've had those too. <laughs> yeah, I remember, but, I remember there's a company at Tempur-Pedic that, that, that my, I was with one firm that was shorted and I, and I, I actually liked the company. We were already shorted. I we did the research. We made a little money. I got us out of the position. Years later, I was meeting with the management. It was my biggest personal position, and I'm meeting with the management. And the CFO says, "I don't even know why I'm talking to you. You're short the stock." I'm like, "You should talk to the short sellers. You should talk to the people that ask the tough questions." Yeah, they no, no, it. it's it's always I think uh, very relevant to see how management responds to somewhat. Um, you know, skeptical, maybe piercing questions, you know, whether they get overly defensive or whether they, they, they see it as an opportunity to explain their story effectively. And, and, you know, that, that's something that I uh, absolutely journalist journalism training kind of homes in on you uh, and, and, you know, shows just how, how important it is. And, and that skepticism, I think, served, has served me well. Um, and that is something that I think journalists kind of naturally have. Uh, yeah. And I think to be an effective investor, Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe not so Except much for the nowadays. cheerleaders, right? Yeah. The cheerleaders on TV. Hey, it's cool. They went to outer space. This is great. I'm part of something exciting because I watched someone else do something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, di- I digress. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Omeros. You brought with us an interesting company. I was a little bit surprised that you brought this because I remember you from your tech journalism days from whatever. I mean, you know, we, we were friends, but still, uh, uh, this is a biotech company and an interesting one um, uh, trading under the tickle, o, ticker OMER. What yes. is Omeros? So Omeros is a uh, biotech company. Like you said, I am I am a layman. I love reading about science, love learning about science. Uh, it's certainly, um, you know, something that um, we, we invest in a, a fair amount at, at Jacob Asset Management. We, you know, we like to find innovative uh, companies that are technology focused, focus on the future. So Omeros has been around a while. It actually um, is uh, a, a pretty old company. They, they came public in 2009, uh, but the story I think is getting very exciting right now. 
they've had setbacks and and successes and there's there's a lot going on at the company but the most important aspect of the company right now is they have a drug that is being reviewed by the FDA for approval in a indication called HSCT TMA, which is a basically right. a blood clotting disorder associated with allogeneic stem cell transplants. Um, and if approved, which, uh, you know, is obviously always a question mark, but uh, s- certainly we believe it will be the data in, in, in patients has been pretty impressive. We can get into that later. But if approved, I think that drug has a potential to be even in this one indication, a potentially uh, close to a billion dollar uh, drug opportunity. The entire market cap of the company right now, enterprise value is just a little over a billion dollars. And, and so we're going to see news on that in, uh, in the very near future. The, the Badufa date, which is the date where the, where the FDA basically right. decides whether this drug is going to make it to market or not, is in, is in October. They could come out uh, quicker than that with the decision. There is no adcom meeting. The, again, the data looks great. I think it will get approved. I've seen a lot of horror stories this year with the FDA. The FDA seems to be uh, have a, have a little bug of it <laughs> in it right now in terms of, of uh, yeah, you know, issuing yeah. CRLs and the like. So there's always a risk and it's certainly not necessarily an, an CRL, invest- uh, a complete response letter, which is yes. basically delaying. Uh, yeah. they, they have an issue with it. It's basically rejecting the drug. Um, right, right, right. And it, and it depends on how much, it, almost every company says, well, there was good news in this rejection, and we found out this thing's going to work for something we don't want it to work for. And this is really exciting for us, actually. Yeah. You see this oh, I love when, like, when they try yeah. and spin the CRL. Right. The CRL is a disaster. And if they do get one, it, it clearly will uh, affect the stock negatively. There certainly is. Yeah. Um, so the, the drug is, is narsoplumab. Or plumab. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. You know, I was listening to uh, one of your earlier um podcasts uh and you were trying to determine the, the way to pronounce chemocentrics which is uh another company actually we used to own uh, and i'm the same way now you, i don't know if, if you're if you're the same but i listen to transcripts i, I barely like yes like you know hear conference calls or this, so i never know how to pronounce things especially when it comes to these hard <laughs> to pronounce words like narsoblimab is i believe okay. uh the correct pronunciation of it it's a monoclonal antibody that um, affects uh, the uh, inhibits the infector enzyme of the lectin pathway. That's a complement system. It's basically the the thing in your body which helps fight off uh, infections. Uh, it's in, in innate immune system. And and so well, they, let's talk they, about that. Yeah. What's interesting about this isn't just you know the the, the uh, blood clotting effects and stem cell treatment uh, patients, but what's what's even more interesting is what this could mean for COVID nineteen. And yeah. uh, the acute respiratory distress syndrome that is such an important, uh, which is the the thing that really kills people uh, from COVID nineteen, or the 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 actual effect of COVID nineteen is to shut down your ability of your lungs to do their job. And here we might have a treatment for that. I think so, and that is absolutely a very exciting, compelling part part of the story. You There's think? a lot of risk. What's that? <laughs> You, you think a cure to the greatest <laughs> pandemic in, in, the, in the last hundred years is, is a good story? Yeah, it's a good uh, now story. I won't go as far to say it's a cure. This is this is mostly about, like you said, what kills people with COVID is the reaction most people get when when the virus starts, you know, causing havoc uh, in the complement cascade of the, of the immune system. The, the effect of COVID is very similar to what you're seeing with the condition 
that this company uh, Narsoplamab might be approved for uh, in HSCTTMA, uh, very similar type of response. And if you've, if you've, uh, I've, I've, you know, again, done a lot of reading, it seems that the lectin pathway has a pretty dramatic and important role in the, uh, you know, diseases and disorders that arise uh, from COVID infection like ARDS. And, and so far, again, it's been small number of patients, uh, but the results have been pretty astounding at what they've seen um, when it's been, when the drug has been used on their compassionate use basis. Uh, it's been used in a bunch of patients in Italy and, and some in the US. There was a story published in, in the uh, Journal of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Eli right, Lilly. Which, I, which I've, if you were, if you're listeners, if you're not reading that every day, <laughs> you are missing out on right. the Journal of Infectious Diseases. Yes, please continue. No. Very uh, about this acute respiratory distress and ARDS, as you referenced, yes. Right. I, I take it to my bed every night. And uh, so there was a, there was a one executive, I, I don't know if it was an executive at Eli Lilly, but for some reason, Eli Lilly published this piece talking about a patient who was in, in really bad shape uh, from COVID and after a few doses of narsoplama rebounded dramatically. I mean, he had already failed steroids. He had failed other, you know, kind of standard of care type of treatments. And, uh, you know, narsoplama came through again, anecdotal, you don't want to read too much into it there. Right. They did treat, they did use the drug for 16 other patients and most of them rebounded. Uh, and these are very sick patients. These are patients who were again, uh, in ARDS, uh, you know, soon to be intubated, not already intubated, had plenty of comorbidities. Uh, the outlook was not good. And and only two of the uh, 16 died and uh, the rest of them uh, responded quite well. And and in other good news, you know, the, some of them so far, they followed uh, six months down the line. And, and uh, really some of those long COVID type of uh, complications, you know, high levels of D-dimer, et cetera, weren't seen in those patients either. So it, it really could have a dramatic impact. Right now, the drug is being studied in a uh, trial, uh, kind of an innovative, adaptive type of design trial uh, being funded partly by the US government and BARDA. And they started enrolling patients in March. Narsoplamab is the only monoclonal antibody that that's in this particular trial. They're looking at a bunch of potential uh, therapies. And I believe, you know, uh, we will probably hear data from that trial in the relatively near future. Unfortunately, COVID is is before, before yeah. the October uh, uh, October seventeen uh, um, Padufa date that you mentioned. It could be a catalyst before then. I mean, it, it, in some ways, it's it's better the the longer we go without hearing the data because the way the trial is designed. They rule out therapies pretty quickly if they think they there's not going to be an impact on mortality. And and they kind of the, the, the trial is designed to uh, ramp up use of, of compounds that they think are effective. Uh, so I don't know exactly when we're going to hear uh, any kind of data for that. I hope it's by then just for the sheer fact that I think, you know, we're going to struggle through another rough uh, fall and winter with COVID and the Delta variant. And this should be a variant independent treatment. Again, it's not about really uh, preventing COVID. It's about preventing the worst uh, results right. that, that stem from COVID infections. It's, it's really interesting. And, and the the study that, that is ongoing here um, got hit kind of a, a pretty big road bump in May uh, uh, that where the FDA basically said, well, what did they say? They said they, they didn't say no, and they didn't say yes, and they didn't say the data is bad, and they didn't say the data is good. 
Right. They just said, what? We need more time to we look need, at this. The FDA has been swamped. I mean, so many companies are dealing with, with similar things right now where the FDA obviously has a lot on its plate. COVID sent a, a lot of, uh, caused a lot of setbacks in the industry. Uh, and, and this is a particularly interesting thing because some people have complained about the data that, that uh, Omeros has for nosoplumab in this uh, condition we talked about, TMA because it was a small trial, 28 patients. It was a single arm trial. Um, and, and you know, in general, that's not something that typically ends up getting approved. They want to see a phase three trial, but this moves straight to to a pivotal trial. And, and the, the data, in my opinion, was so compelling. This is a this is a disorder, uh, you know, TMA associated with stem cell transplants that will kill 90 percent plus of patients. In this case, you saw survival rates of upwards of 83% for people that took the full doses of nosoplumab. So it, to me, that was never a concern, but some people had a concern. And then there's this delay that the FDA says, we, we've we requested uh, it's a major amendment. We want to look at new data. I think they want to look at some of this data that's been produced by uh, the treatment of these COVID patients, uh, COVID patients with narsoplumab. That wasn't in the original filing yeah. that the company did back in January. And I think the FDA, for good reason, is saying, let's take a look at it. I think it's actually supportive of a potential approval. And, and that's obviously where we're, where we're leaning. So the basic takeaway here is that FDA says, oh, wow, it's got this one thing it's really good for or, or might be good for. It's also got another more important thing. And an approval of this is going to be the most closely watched decision we've made since approving vaccines. So we better take the time to get this right. I think, again, I think, the, see, one of the tricky things about this from an investor standpoint and from a valuation standpoint is, Everything Omeros is trying to use narsoplumab for in the early going, it's got three phase three trials. TMA is just one of them. Of the three, it's the one that's on deck right now in terms of indication. But the, all three of them are orphan diseases, meaning the plan. There's no other treatment. There's no other treatment, but there, and it's also a small market. You know, th this has the potential to affect uh, about... 30 to 40,000 people get allogeneic stem cell treatments every year in the U.S. and, and EU. And about uh, maybe 40 percent of them have this complication called TMA. And so it's a pretty small market, right? Just like with uh, Solaris, which was the Alexion drug and somewhat similar uh, right. type of inhibitor of the uh, complement system. Uh, they're going to charge hundreds and thousands of dollars for this uh, for this drug, right? Because it's it's a it's a small market, and that's one of the features of being designated an orphan drug therapy is that you're allowed to kind of recoup the investment in in, in your drug by charging a fairly hefty amount. And actually, it does end up saving uh, the system money because these patients who have this particular disease, you know, it's it's incredibly deadly, and and hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent on trying to treat these patients. So uh, it, it will make sense from a treatment, but it doesn't make sense in the terms of trying to treat COVID patients. Obviously, you know, that's a that's a market which is, uh, you know, way too large, unfortunately. And so they're going to have to come up with a way to price the drug differently for COVID versus these other orphan indications. And also that's there's an really issue of supply. That's yeah, and, like, I mean, would they would they really have the same drug price for two different things? Or would it, if, if the indication is for a massive audience, audience is really a horrible word here, right. a, a massive group of affected people, people dying of COVID, people with multiple indications of morbidity and so on, uh, that if there are so many of these people, maybe they lower the price for everyone for this treatment. 
Uh, I don't, I, it's a hundred percent. I don't know how it will work. I re, you don't really see it often. It, it's kind of a, a, and it's one of the reasons why the company was a little bit hesitant about developing our Soplimab and for COVID because they know this is an issue. I think it's such a, uh, an, a, a tremendously important societal issue that they'll find some way to solve it. There's also an issue of just supply, right? They, they've, they have supply ready to go uh, for narsoplamab for TMA, because uh, but it's a relatively small market size. And in fact, this delay from the FDA has been somewhat useful for the company, kind of getting ready to launch the drug and 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 you know educating doctors and and getting that manufacturing ready to go. But there's not enough supply for treating COVID sick COVID patients. Yeah. So there's there there's going to have to be some sort of government angle here to help fund this particular project if the drug ends up being. Uh, successful in, in in helping to treat sick uh, COVID patients. Well, my God, they've already put so much money into the development of this thing. Uh, they do have other drugs, right? They've got this the drug that they went public on. Is it is it Omidira? Again, Omidria. That's See, what I said. <laughs> Omidria. I said I that the first time. Nobody ever listens to me. I said Omidria. So Omidria uh, yeah. is on is in the market, but they have spent just vast fortunes developing these drugs. Is the is it a real binary event whether or not this thing gets approved for COVID? For COVID, I don't think so. Because again, you're dealing with a market cap company right now is of a little over a billion enterprise value, market cap less than that. Um, and Omidria, which you mentioned, is a uh, compounded drug. It's a phenylephrine and, and cataralac used in cataract surgery to help with pupil constriction and, and post-operative pain. Right. And that alone, in my opinion, at peak, at, you know, kind of peak size is going to be 250, 300 million, maybe even a bigger marketplace. It's It still has an IP runway, you know, the patents, you know, go out to 2030 plus. So I, I think that alone, uh, the company, you know, most of the company's value, you could, you could ascribe to Omidria. So Narsoplamab and what happens with the FDA in October or before is is a binary event. It's dramatically important. COVID is a little bit separate of an issue. Um, if it's if it is approved for COVID or we start seeing good data for COVID, then the numbers just go up uh, dramatically from there. But I think the stock can still work successfully if it doesn't work in COVID, but still gets approved for this particular indication because. Like uh, the other thing we didn't really talk about is narsoplamab. There's a lot of diseases that 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 work in in the similar way that that right. thrombotic microangiopathies work, right? And and things uh, you know like uh, IgA nephropathy. See, I can have my uh, pronunciation difficulties <laughs> too. Uh, you know there and there's a uh, you know there's a bunch of other potential indications that narsoplamab could work in, and they um, might be on label, and they might be off label, but they might get there. Because once they start to see the treatment work. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. Just, just like Solaris, by the way, it, it's yeah. been used off label for lots of similar type of indications. It's such an interesting company, and I'm so glad to talk to you about it. Um, and so glad to talk to you, period. Aaron Sherman's. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's been a minute, man. It's it's good to see you uh, on, the on my screen, and it's good to hear your voice. You don't look like you've well. aged, by the way, at all. You're Not a stone cold liar. I like it. <laughs> all right. Darren Sherman's of Jacob Asset Management. Uh, well, coming up next on The Drill Down. We do appreciate it, Darren. Thanks a lot. Coming up next on The Drill Down, we're going to talk about The Drill Down Bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. How much has this company spent developing these drugs? How big of a deficit have they accumulated over the years? I'm going to have that giant nine-figure number. The Drill Down continues. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. All right, let's say you're listening to this podcast on your Apple iPhone and you've got Apple Podcasts open and you see the picture of me in front of that lovely building, the San Francisco Ferry Building, and you see a little plus sign right there. Click the plus sign. It means you're following the show and it'll help you make sure you don't miss a single episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down. We're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. What is the accumulated deficit for Omeris Corporation, right? What is, how much have they burned so far trying to uh, create this COVID cure and other drugs they have created? Ready for this? Here's, here's a bite. They have accumulated deficit of $912,459,000. That's right, approaching a billion dollars to get to where they are today. And God knows we all wish them some success with uh, something that could help COVID. All right, we've been listening to The Drill Down. Ben Wilson is our, ex- our, our editor extraordinaire, I said. We appreciate your time. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.